Chapter Three of Son of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Son of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Three. As the trainer, with raised lash, hesitated an instant at the entrance to the box where the boy and the ape confronted him, a tall, broad-shouldered man pushed past him and entered. As his eyes fell upon the newcomer, a slight flush mounted the boy's cheeks. "'Father!' he exclaimed. The ape gave one look at the English lord, and then leaped toward him, calling out in excited jabbering. The man, his eyes going wide in astonishment, stopped as though turned to stone. "'Akut!' he cried. The boy looked, bewildered, from the ape to his father, and from his father to the ape. The trainer's jaw dropped as he listened to what followed for from the lips of the Englishman flowed the gutturals of an ape that were answered in kind by the huge anthropoid that now clung to him, and from the wings a hideously bent and disfigured old man watched the tableau in the box, his pock-marked features working spasmodically in varying expressions that might have marked every sensation in the gamut from pleasure to terror. "'Long have I looked for you, Tarzan,' said Akut. Now that I have found you, I shall come to your jungle and live there always. The man stroked the beast's head. Through his mind there was running rapidly a train of recollection that carried him far into the depths of the primeval African forest, where this huge man-like beast had fought shoulder to shoulder with him years before. He saw the black Mugambi wielding his deadly knob-stick, and beside them, with bared fangs and bristling whiskers, Sheeta the terrible, and pressing close behind the savage and the savage panther, the hideous apes of Akut. The man sighed. Strong within him surged the jungle lust that he had thought dead. Ah, if he could go back even for a brief month of it, to feel again the brush of leafy branches against his naked hide to smell the musty rot of dead vegetation, frankincense and myrrh to the jungle-born, to sense the noiseless coming of the great carnivora upon his trail, to hunt and to be hunted, to kill. The picture was alluring, and then came another picture, a sweet-faced woman, still young and beautiful, friends, a home, a son. He shrugged his giant shoulders. "'It cannot be, Akut, he said, "'but if you would return, "'I shall see that it is done. "'You could not be happy here. "'I may not be happy there.' "'The trainer stepped forward. "'The ape bared his fangs, growling. "'Go with him, Akut,' said Tarzan of the apes. "'I will come and see you to-morrow.' "'The beast moved sullenly to the trainer's side. "'The latter, at John Clayton's request, told where they might be found. Tarzan turned toward his son. Come, he said, and the two left the theater. Neither spoke for several minutes after they had entered the limousine. It was the boy who broke the silence. The ape knew you, he said, and you spoke together in the ape's tongue. How did the ape know you, and how did you learn his language? And then briefly, and for the first time, Tarzan of the apes, told his son of his early life, of the birth in the jungle, of the death of his parents, and of how Kala, the great she-ape, had suckled and raised him from infancy almost to manhood. He told him, too, of the dangers and the horrors of the jungle, of the great beast that stalked one by day and by night, 
of the periods of drought and of cataclysmic rains of hunger of cold of intense heat of nakedness and fear and suffering he told him of all those things that seem most horrible to the creature of civilization in the hope that the knowledge of them might expunge from the lad's mind any inherent desire for the jungle yet they were the very things that made the memory of the jungle what it was to tarzan that made up the composite jungle life he loved and in the telling he forgot one thing the principal thing that the boy at his side listening with eager ears was the son of tarzan of the apes after the boy had been tucked away in bed and without the threatened punishment john clayton told his wife of the events of the evening and that he had at last acquainted the boy with the facts of his jungle life the mother who had long foreseen that her son must some time know of those frightful years during which his father had roamed the jungle a naked savage beast of prey only shook her head hoping against hope that the lore she knew was still strong in the father's breast had not been transmitted to his son tarzan visited akut the following day but though jack begged to be allowed to accompany him he was refused this time tarzan saw the pockmarked old owner of the ape whom he did not recognize as the wily palvich of former days tarzan influenced by akut's pleadings broached the question of the ape's purchase but palvich would not name any price saying that he would consider the matter when tarzan returned home jack was all excitement to hear the details of his visit and finally suggested that his father buy the ape and bring it home lady greystroke was horrified at the suggestion the boy was insistent tarzan explained that he had wished to purchase akut and return him to the jungle home and to this the mother assented jack asked to be allowed to visit the ape but again he was met with flat refusal he had the address however which the trainer had given his father and two days later he found the opportunity to elude his new tutor who had replaced the terrified mr moore and after a considerable search through a section of london which he had never before visited he found the smelly little quarters of the pockmarked old man the old fellow himself replied to his knocking and when he stated that he had come to see ajax opened the door and admitted him to the little room which he and the great ape occupied in former years Paulvitch had been a fastidious scoundrel but ten years of hideous life among the cannibals of africa had eradicated the last vestige of niceness from his habits his apparel was wrinkled and soiled his hands were unwashed his few straggling locks uncombed his room was a jumble of filthy disorder as the boy entered he saw the great ape squatting upon the bed the coverlets of which were a tangled wad of filthy blankets and ill-smelling quilts at sight of the youth the ape leaped to the floor and shuffled forward the man not recognizing his visitor and fearing that the ape meant mischief stepped between them ordering the ape back to the bed he will not hurt me cried the boy we are friends and before he was my father's friend they knew one another in the jungle my father is lord greystoke he does not know that i have come here my mother forbid my coming but i wish to see ajax and i will pay you if you will let me come here often and see him at the mention of the boy's identity paulvitch's eyes narrowed 
Since he had first seen Tarzan again from the wings of the theater, there had been forming in his deadened brain the beginnings of a desire for revenge. It is a characteristic of the weak and criminal to attribute to others the misfortunes that are the result of their own wickedness, and so now it was that Alexis Pavlovich was slowly recalling the events of his past life, and as he did so, laying at the door of the man whom he and Rokoff had so assiduously attempted to ruin and murder all the misfortunes that had befallen him in the failure of their various schemes against their intended victim. He saw, at first, no way in which he could, with safety to himself, wreak vengeance upon Tarzan through the medium of Tarzan's son. But that great possibilities for revenge lay in the boy was apparent to him, and so he determined to cultivate the lad in the hope that fate would play into his hands in some way in the future. He told the boy all that he knew of his father's past life in the jungle, and when he found that the boy had been kept in ignorance of all these things for so many years, and that he had been forbidden visiting the zoological gardens, that he had had to bind and gag his tutor to find an opportunity to come to the music hall and see Ajax, he guessed immediately the nature of the great fear that lay in the hearts of the boy's parents, that he might crave the jungle as his father had craved it. And so Paulvich encouraged the boy to come and see him often, and always he played upon the lad's craving for tales of the savage world with which Paulvich was all too familiar. He left him alone with Akut much, and it was not long until he was surprised to learn that the boy could make the great beast understand him, that he had actually learned many of the words of the primitive language of the anthropoids. During this period Tarzan came several times to visit Paulvich. He seemed anxious to purchase Ajax, and at last he told the man frankly that he was prompted not only by a desire upon his part to return the beast to the liberty of his native jungle, but also because his wife feared that in some way her son might learn the whereabouts of the ape, and through his attachment for the beast become imbued with the roving instinct which, as Tarzan explained to Paulvich, had so influenced his own life. The Russian could scarce repress a smile as he listened to Lord Greystoke's words, since scarce a half-hour had passed since the time the future Lord Greystroke had been sitting upon the disordered bed, jabbering away to Ajax with all the fluency of a born ape. It was during this interview that a plan occurred to Paulvich, and as a result of it he agreed to accept a certain fabulous sum for the ape, and upon receipt of the money to deliver the beast to a vessel that was sailing south from Dover for Africa two days later. He had a double purpose in accepting Clayton's offer. Primarily the money consideration influenced him strongly, as the ape was no longer a source of revenue to him, having consistently refused to perform upon the stage after having discovered Tarzan. It was as though the beast had suffered himself to be brought from his jungle home and exhibited before thousands of curious spectators for the sole purpose of searching out his long-lost friend and master, and, having found him considered further mingling with the common herd of humans, unnecessary. However that may be, the fact remained that no amount of persuasion could influence him even to show himself upon the music-hall stage, and upon the single occasion that the trainer attempted force, the results were such that the unfortunate man considered himself lucky to have escaped with his life. 
All that saved him was the accidental presence of Jack Clayton, who had been permitted to visit the animal in the dressing-room reserved for him at the music-hall, and had immediately interfered when he saw that the savage beast meant serious mischief. And after the money consideration, strong in the heart of the Russian was the desire for revenge, which had been growing with constant brooding over the failures and miseries of his life, which he attributed to Tarzan the latest, and by no means the least of which, was Ajax's refusal to longer earn money for him. The ape's refusal he traced directly to Tarzan, finally convincing himself that the ape-man had instructed the great anthropoid to refuse to go upon the stage. Palvitch's naturally malign disposition was aggravated by the weakening and warping of his mental and physical faculties through torture and privation. From cold, calculating, highly intelligent perversity, it had deteriorated into the indiscriminating, dangerous menace of the mentally defective. His plan, however, was sufficiently cunning to at least cast a doubt upon the assertion that his mentality was wandering. It assured him first of the competence which Lord Greystroke had promised to pay him for the deportation of the ape, and then of revenge upon his benefactor through the son he idolized. That part of his scheme was crude and brutal. It lacked the refinement of torture that had marked the master strokes of the Palvitch of old, when he had worked with the virtuoso of villainy, Nicholas Rokoff. But it at least assured Palvitch of immunity from responsibility, placing that upon the ape, who would thus also be punished for his refusal longer to support the Russian. Everything played with fiendish unanimity into Palvitch's hands, as chance would have it, Tarzan's son overheard his father relating to the boy's mother the steps he was taking to return Akut safely to his jungle home, and having overheard, he begged them to bring the ape home, that he might have him for a playfellow. Tarzan would not have been averse to this plan, but Lady Greystroke was horrified at the very thought of it. Jack pleaded with his mother, but all unavailingly. She was obdurate and at last the lad appeared to acquiesce in his mother's decision that the ape must be returned to Africa, and the boy to school, from which he had been absent on vacation. He did not attempt to visit Palvitch's room again that day, but instead busied himself in other ways. He had always been well supplied with money, so that when necessity demanded he had no difficulty in collecting several hundred pounds. Some of this money he invested in various strange purchases, which he managed to smuggle into the house undetected when he returned late in the afternoon. The next morning, after giving his father time to precede him and conclude his business with Palvitch, the lad hastened to the Russian's room. Knowing nothing of the man's true character, the boy dared not take him fully into his confidence for fear that the old fellow would not only refuse to aid him, but would report the whole affair to his father. Instead, he simply asked permission to take Ajax to Dover. He explained that it would relieve the old man of a tiresome journey, as well as placing a number of pounds in his pocket, for the lad proposed paying the Russian well. "'You see,' he went on, "'there will be no danger of detection, since I am supposed to be leaving on an afternoon train for school.' Instead, I will come here after they have left me on board the train. Then I can take Ajax to Dover, you see, and arrive at school only a day late. No one will be the wiser. No harm will be done, 
and I shall have had an extra day with Ajax before I lose him forever. The plan fitted perfectly with that which Paulvitch had in mind. Had he known what further the boy contemplated, he would doubtless have entirely abandoned his own scheme of revenge, and aided the boy wholeheartedly in the consummation of the lads, which would have been better for Paulvitch, could he have but read the future but a few short hours ahead. That afternoon Lord and Lady Greystroke bid their son good-bye, and saw him safely settled in a first-class compartment of the railway carriage that would set him down at school in a few hours. No sooner had they left him, however, than he gathered his bags together, descended from the compartment, and sought a cab-stand outside the station. Here he engaged a cabby to take him to the Russian's address. It was dusk when he arrived. He found Paulvitch awaiting him. The man was pacing the floor nervously. The ape was tied with a stout cord to the bed. It was the first time that Jack had ever seen Ajax thus secured. He looked questioningly at Paulvitch. The man, mumbling, explained that he believed the animal had guessed that he was to be sent away, and he feared he would attempt to escape. Paulvitch carried another piece of cord in his hand. There was a noose in one end of it which he was continually playing with. He walked back and forth, up and down the room. His pock-marked features were working horribly as he talked silent to himself. The boy had never seen him thus. It made him uneasy. At last Paulvitch stopped on the opposite side of the room, far from the ape. "'Come here,' he said to the lad. "'I will show you how to secure the ape, should he show signs of rebellion during the trip.' The lad laughed. "'It will not be necessary,' he replied. "'Ajax will do whatever I tell him to do.' The old man stamped his foot angrily. "'Come here, as I tell you,' he repeated. "'If you do not do as I say, you shall not accompany the ape to Dover. I will take no chances upon his escaping.' Still smiling, the lad crossed the room and stood before the Russ. "'Turn around with your back toward me,' directed the latter, "'that I may show you how to bind him quickly.' The boy did as he was bid, placing his hands behind him when Paulvitch told him to do so. Instantly the old man slipped the running noose over one of the lad's wrists, took a couple of half-hitches about the other wrist, and knotted the cord. The moment that the boy was secured, the attitude of the man changed. With an angry oath he wheeled his prisoner about, tripped him and hurled him violently to the floor, leaping upon his breast as he fell. From the bed the ape growled and struggled with his bonds. The boy did not cry out, a trait inherited from his savage sire whom long years in the jungle following the death of his foster-mother Kayla, the great ape, had taught that there was none to come to the succor of the fallen. Paulvitch's fingers sought the lad's throat. He grinned down horribly into the face of his victim. "'Your father ruined me,' he mumbled. "'This will pay him. He will think that the ape did it. I will tell him that the ape did it, that I left him alone for a few minutes, and that you sneaked in, and the ape killed you, I will throw your body upon the bed after I have choked the life from you, and when I bring your father he will see the ape squatting over it. And the twisted fiend cackled in gloating laughter. His fingers closed upon the boy's throat. Behind them the growling of the maddened beast reverberated against the walls of the little room. The boy paled, but no other sign of fear or panic showed upon his countenance. He was the son of Tarzan. The fingers tightened their grip upon his throat. 
It was with difficulty that he breathed gaspingly. The ape lunged against the stout cord that held him. Turning, he wrapped the cord about his hands, as a man might have done, and surged heavily backward. The great muscles stood out beneath his shaggy hide. There was a rending as of splintered wood. The cord held, but a portion of the footboard of the bed came away. At the sound, Paulvitch looked up. His hideous face went white with terror. The ape was free. With a single bound, the creature was upon him. The man shrieked. The brute wrenched him from the body of the boy. Great fingers sunk into the man's flesh. Yellow fangs gaped close to his throat. He struggled futilely, and when they closed, the soul of Alexis Paulvitch passed into the keeping of the demons who had long been awaiting it. The boy struggled to his feet, assisted by Akut. For two hours, under the instruction of the former, the ape worked upon the knots that secured his friend's wrists. Finally, they gave up their secret, and the boy was free. Then he opened one of his bags and drew forth some garments. His plans had been well made. He did not consult the beast, which did all that he directed. Together they slunk from the house, but no casual observer might have noted that one of them was an ape. End of chapter 3